If it's your first time here at THC, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you guys coming on out. Today we are kicking off this brand new series, brand new stuff. We are calling it Not Normal. Um, how did I come up with this? One of the major themes that we see throughout the scriptures, but primarily really in the New Testament, is that we as Christians, and many of us here are Christians, that we as Christians are to be different than the world that we live in. Jesus said, and now I'm paraphrasing, he said, we are to be in the world, not of the world. Perhaps you've heard that phrase. In the world, not of the world. Meaning, you are to live in society, you are to work in society, but you need to be different from society. And so what I want to do over the next couple of weeks is just take a look at what it means to be different, what it looks like to kind of go against the grain. In other words, I want to find out what it means to be not normal. What is normal in this world? What is normal? Normal is being broke. <laughs> Talked about that last week. Normal is being broke. Normal is being fearful. Normal is being discontent with, with life. Normal is divorce. It's anxiety. Normal is hating your job. But we as Christians have been called to be anything but normal, which means your values will not be normal. Your passions in life will not be normal. The way that you love your spouse, the way that you raise your children, those things, it will not look normal. And so each week, we're going to take a look at one specific way that we as Christians can be not normal in the world in which we live. So to kick off, what I want to do is I want to talk about what it looks like to have what I'll call a not normal faith. What does it look like to have a not normal faith, particularly for the conversation today, particularly in the face of trials and tribulations and storms, that, that when you go through something that is incredibly difficult, your response as a Christian will be very different than how the world will respond. It will be not normal. For today's conversation and for the rest of the series, we are going to be diving into the book of 1 Peter because Peter has a lot to say. He's got a lot of great wisdom as to what it looks like to live a not normal life as a Christian in this world. So to begin this conversation about not normal faith in the face of trials, Peter begins by saying this, 1 Peter 1, 6. He says, So be truly glad. Let me pause, because what I didn't tell you about this is that Peter is writing a letter to a group of Christians that are currently enduring systematic governmental persecution. It is now about 64 AD. Nero is now the Roman emperor. He has effectively just declared war on Christians. It's open season, okay? Have at him. So not only are the Christians that Peter's writing to enduring it's kind of the run-of-the-mill trials and tribulations that all of us have to deal with. They're also scared for their lives. Reports are now coming in that, that Nero is, is putting animal skins on Christians and throwing them to cages with wild animals. Reports are coming in that, that he is covering Christians in oil, hoisting them up into trees, lighting them on fire, illuminating his garden parties. It is to this group of Christians that Peter says, so be truly glad. He says, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. In other words, God may not make these temporary trials go away, but have hope. There's, there's wonderful joy ahead. Then he goes on to talk about how these trials have purposes in our lives. He says this, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. These trials that you're going through, they're going to show that your faith is genuine. Now that's interesting. See, if there's such a thing as genuine faith, that means necessarily that there is a faith that is not genuine. 
counterfeit, phony, right? Faith that has the appearance of being genuine, but when you go just below the surface, you realize it's not real, right? It's, it's, a, it's a false faith. A false faith is a much bigger problem within the Christian community than you may realize. One of the biggest concerns that I have is with people, well-meaning people, good people, people who, who call themselves Christians, people who, who believe that they are Christians, people who assume they are Christians. But when you engage with them about their spiritual life, what becomes clear is that they are not, in fact, Christians. That their faith, unbeknownst to them, and that's key, unbeknownst to them, isn't a genuine faith. So let's talk about that. I'm going to talk about what false faith looks like. I want to give you three types of false faith that I have seen in my own personal journey. The first type I see is what I'm going to call inherited faith. I see this all the time, all the time. You get into a conversation with somebody, spiritual things, and, and maybe you say, hey, you, are you a Christian? And they say something like, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Whenever you start off with an oh, yeah, to that question, that's a red flag. Uh, yeah, you know, mom and dad, they were they were Catholic, mom and dad were Baptist. I think dad was a deacon. Um, I mean, I don't really go to church, but uh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I mean, I'm not Muslim, I'm not, I'm not an atheist, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. Right? That's inherited faith. That because mom and dad were Christians, grandma and grandpa were Christians, right? That we, by blood, are Christians. That we have inherited that faith. Problem is, according to scripture, inherited faith is not genuine faith. Scripture says it doesn't work like that. You, on your own and for yourself, have to make a decision to follow Christ. And just because you are related to someone by blood who has accepted Christ, just doesn't count. doesn't work like that. That's inherited faith. Second type of false faith that we see a lot is what I'll call shallow faith. One day Jesus was telling a parable. Parables are fictional stories he would make up to tell real truths. And then they says, there's a farmer. Farmer was walking and throwing seeds out, throwing seeds out as he walked. And, uh, and the seeds were going onto different types of soil. Jesus said some of the seeds fell on the path in front of him and the birds came in and just quickly ate up those seeds. Other seeds, however, fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. Now those seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. And since they didn't have deep roots, they die. What is he talking about here? Well, thankfully, in this parable, Jesus actually explains exactly what he's talking about. He says the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. He is describing folks who hear the gospel. They hear the teachings of Jesus and they immediately engage with it. They love it. They receive it with joy. It, it begins to transform their life. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They got shallow faith. Now, here's what I know based on scripture and based on experience. This right here, this picture that Jesus is painting, this is where some of you are right now. Because you're here today. And you were here for blessed and stressed. And you were here for surviving South Florida just before that. And you're loving it, right? You're being blessed by it. You're, you're, you're seeing some growth in your life. But six months from today, you will not be a DHC. You won't be at any church. You won't be reading the Bible. 
you're going to be hurting again. The fears are going to start coming back. There's going to be no spiritual power, no spiritual victory. And I know this because I've seen it over and over and over. It's quietness. But it's true. And I know it's true because Jesus says it's true. You're here now. You're kind of excited. You got some momentum and six months you're gone. Jesus says this happens because your roots just simply aren't deep enough. See, the problem is going to church on Sundays is good, but it's not enough. It's not enough to give you the spiritual strength to make it through six days on your own, so to speak, against your spiritual enemy. It's not enough to give you the strength to withstand the trials and the tribulations and the storms that are barraging you all throughout the week. And so if you want to be close to God, and I think you do, if you want a thriving spiritual relationship, and I think you do, then you need to get connected to other believers. And the best way to do that here at this church is to volunteer. When you volunteer, you're not just filling a role, you're not just performing a task. Quite honestly, that's, that's secondary. You are getting connected into a community. You're getting connected to people who will know your name, who know your situation, so that when you stray, they say, hey, you all right? We miss you, haven't seen you. Where are you? Come on back. That love and that concern keeps you connected and allows your roots to grow down deep. And let me just say this. I'm going to step on some toes for just a second. Church is not listening to a podcast. Church is not regularly, and this is huge, that word, church is not regularly watching online from your couch. Church is the body of believers gathering together as you are, in person, corporately, to worship God, to strengthen each other, to lean on one another, to pray for one another, and to learn to share the message of Jesus with the world. Church really matters to God. Jesus died for the church. He says he's coming back for the church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church matters to Jesus. Therefore, church should matter to us. So we here at DHC, we're not going to have shallow faith. The last kind of false faith that I see a lot is circumstantial faith. It's those individuals who would say, I believe in God. I do. I really do. Asterisk. As long as things go the way that I think they should go. Maybe that's you. Maybe you know somebody with that kind of faith, right? That faith is based on our ability to find God in our situation, in our circumstances. You see this play out a lot with folks who have lost a loved one. I, I thought I believed in God, they would say. But how can I believe in a God that would allow this to happen? And my heart breaks for people that are dealing with circumstantial faith. It really does, because I get it. I, it's hard. But circumstantial faith is not genuine faith. And my prayer all week is that God brought you here today to change your circumstantial faith into genuine faith. So if you're here today and you are someone that is going through a difficult time, you might even say, my faith is being tested. You lost someone and you think you lost God. You lost your job, right? And now you're wondering, how could God do this? How could a good God allow that to happen? Let's talk about that. 
right? Let's talk about these storms that all of us face. Because God can use the trials in our lives to grow our faith. Remember what Peter said, verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. In other words, a faith that has been tested is a faith that can be trusted and you can rely on and you can lean in. Peter knows more about this principle than anybody else. His faith was tested and it failed. But then he was strengthened, he was redeemed, and he was completely transformed. Let me show you. Let's go back about 25 years before he wrote this letter. Jesus says to Peter, calls him Simon here, that's his Hebrew name, Simon, Simon. Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. Imagine that. In other words, Satan wants to test you. And it's not so much that Satan wants to see what Peter's made of. Satan wants to completely crush, defeat, and destroy Peter. Don't ever think that your spiritual enemy isn't scheming to take you away from the things of God. Don't ever think that he's not attacking you. Jesus says, Peter, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. He wants to test you. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail because trials reveal your faith. So when you have repented and turned to me, which means, by the way, that Peter is going to fail. You're not always going to get it right. When you return from your mistake, when you turn back to me, strengthen your brothers, he says. How did God use trials to transform Peter? We learned about this over the summertime. In Peter's early years, he was a mess, a bit arrogant, a bit hot-headed, very inconsistent. In the later years, he was incredibly bold, full of faith, on fire for the things of God. What happened? What happened is God used trials to strengthen Peter's faith. Famously, on the last night of Jesus' life, when Jesus needed his disciples more than ever, Peter denied knowing Jesus. Not once, not twice, three times. He folded when a young girl said, hey, don't you know Jesus? It was the worst moment of his life. But after the resurrection, Jesus went to him, forgave him, redeemed Peter, transformed him. And five weeks later, on Pentecost, that same cowardly Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus before thousands of people. God used trials to transform Peter's faith and make him bold. It's exactly why James, who's the brother of Jesus, could say this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, God is going to use your trials. God is doing something right now in what you're dealing with. And so if you are someone who is racked with pain right now, what I pray you understand is that there is purpose in your pain. Now the God we worship never wastes a hurt. He's always working through it. He always loves you. He's always for you. He always is good. Our faith cannot be based on our circumstances. Our faith must be based on on Jesus Christ. Second thing we learn about the trials in our life is that trials can actually draw you closer to God. Peter says something interesting, and I want you to pay attention to the words that he uses. To that same group of Christians, he says, you love God even though you've never seen him. Now, scripture is very clear. 
we as humans can't see God. God is spirit, okay? Over and over and over again, scripture says no one's ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. And yet, even though you can't see him, we love him. We trust him. Then Peter says something really interesting. He says, though you do not see him now, you trust him. Now, as I read this, and I could be wrong, it's my interpretation, okay? I think Peter is saying, though you, his audience, though you, don't see God in your current situation. In other words, based on what is happening to you right now, based on what's happening in the world around you, with the persecutions and the trials and the storms, it may be hard to see God in that. Though everything around you is telling you that God is not with you, you trust him. You don't have circumstantial faith. And that even though you don't see him, you rejoice, he says, with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Think about that. A joy that could only come from heaven. A joy that settles your soul, calms your mind, and gives you a peace beyond human comprehension. That even though you're grieving, even though you're hurting, even though you're afraid, even though it's dark, even though Rome may be coming to get you, you still have an inexpressible, glorious joy. Peter says the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This right here is the gospel. This right here is the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news is not that God will save you from your trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. God never said, I'm going to deliver you from your trouble. He didn't say that. In fact, Jesus made us a promise and it wasn't a good one. He said, here on earth, you will have trouble. He never said you won't have financial difficulties. He never said you won't have that annoying coworker in your life. He never said you won't have to deal personally with sickness or death or addiction or war. He never said any of that. Jesus made a promise. Here on earth, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. See, the good news is not that he saves us from our troubles. The good news is that he saves our souls and forgives us of our sins, and that is the best news of all time. Now, when it comes to the kind of troubles that we deal with in life, maybe you've heard this, right? God will never give you more than you can handle. Says who? We've talked, this is a misinterpretation of scripture. Anybody who says this, unbeknownst to them perhaps, is wrongly quoting scripture, where it says that God will never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. The Bible nowhere states, anywhere, cover to cover, maps, contents, anywhere, that God won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, I would argue that the entire message of the Bible is that life is more than you can handle. And that's precisely why God sent Jesus into this world. And I'm absolutely convinced that God will often allow you to have more than you can handle because it teaches you to rely on him. When you're hurting, you draw on God. When you're desperate, you draw on God. I firmly believe there'll be seasons in your life where God allows you to get to a place that is so low that all you can do is look up and you will find him and he will be good and you too can experience glorious, inexpressible joy.
So what's practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time here at DHC, every single week we put this word on the screen because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So my old pastor, my old boss, he used to say that storms are just a part of life, okay? You're either coming out of a storm, you're right in the middle of a storm, or you're about to head into one. And when those storms hit, okay, when the phone rings and it's your doctor and it's not good news, when you get called into the boss's office and you find out you've been let go, okay, scripture is clear. Scripture is clear. In those moments, we need to lean on Jesus to give us strength and to anchor our faith in the midst of that turmoil. But the truth is this, you can't lean on Jesus if you don't know him, okay? Our faith is not based on our circumstances and our situations. Our faith is based on Jesus. And while many of us here in this room have said yes to Jesus, while many of us know him as our Lord and Savior, when push comes to um, shove, the reality is we, we don't know much more than that. The extent of our knowledge about Jesus and, and what he offers us comes to, comes to us from, from what I say on Sunday. And I get it, you're busy. And so it's nice to have me explain a couple of things. That's why I'm here. But this, it's not going to cut it. If you want to survive the storm, you personally need to read the Bible. I'm just telling you, okay? You do. The Bible is filled with so many promises of God. Promises about what he's doing in your life. Promises about what he wants to do in your life. But if you don't know God's promises, I'm just telling you, you're, you're flying blind. And you may know Jesus in your heart. But if you don't know his promises, and if you don't know his word, when that storm hits, you're going to be all over the place. You might find yourself in a circumstance that looks dark. And your faith is getting shaky and you have no idea why this is happening, no idea what is going on. Meanwhile, the answers you needed were right in Scripture. The anger you needed was right there in Scripture. It's sitting on your coffee table, but you weren't even aware of it. You've got to get into God's Word. You've got to build a foundation that can withstand any storm. Secondly, I'm just going to pull right from today's message. Some of you here, you've got to get connected to the other believers. The Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. And so if you are someone whose entire church experience happens behind a computer screen, I'm just going to tell you, you've got to find a church to go to. If you are local, we'd love to have you here. If you're out of town, if you're out of state, you really need to find a local church family. Reach out. We can help you find something, okay? You can supplement that with what you see here but you need to get connected to other believers. Secondly, if you're someone here today who is relatively new to the Christian faith and you're excited about it, but you heard Jesus' parable and you want to make sure that your roots go deep, I'm going to challenge you to step up and volunteer because you need something more than just church on Sunday. You need a church family. People who can love you and care for you and pray for you, people that you can lean on when times get tough. And so if you're feeling like, yeah, this is me, that's me, okay? And 
It's daunting to think about saying yes to volunteering. I don't even know what I can do. Uh, doesn't matter, right? Go find Adam, the guy who made the announcements. Come find me. Go find any volunteer with a lanyard. Go to the coffee place. Go to the dessert place, right? And we will help you get in the path to a not normal faith. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, your son told us that in this world there would be trouble. God, and every single person in this room knows that to be the case. Lord, whether we are struggling financially, relationally, physically, emotionally, God, whether we have friends or family who are in the midst of a war right now, all of us know what that looks like. And I pray that today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would embolden our faith. You would test it with fire so that it would become genuine faith, Lord. And anybody in this room who is dealing with inherited faith, a shallow faith, circumstantial faith, I pray that today you would convict us, you would help us, you would empower us to see this world in a new way, to know, God, that no matter what is happening to us, you have promised to work it all together for our good, our future good, for those of us who know your son, Jesus, God. Give us peace in the midst of the storm to know that you are still in control and we will give you all the glory. We ask this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus.